Welcome to the Grappling Arts Podcast. Joining Claire and myself is the professional unladylike writer and performance artist Heather Bandenberg. In her own words, Heather grew up wanting to be a writer, and then accidentally became a Lucha Libre wrestler, age 21. Since then, she's launched herself fully into a series of adventures, including writing feminist narratives on wrestling and bringing jovial violence to London's cabaret scene. We talk about anger as a creative force, wrestling as a form of feminist resistance, the role of comedy in her work, and of course, Heather's obsession with Cher. The episode with Heather was both fascinating and joyful to record, and we hope you enjoy listening to it as much as we did making it. Just a word before we dive into the episode, for those that might find such topics triggering, that the conversation contains reference to the experience of sexual assault. Um, yeah, I was looking forward to this though, um, by way of a pre-chat. Yeah, um, me too. I've wanted to actually speak to Heather, actually speak to her, not just email her for a really long time. So I'm really excited about our mm. conversation today. I think it's going to be great. Because you collaborated, well, you you collaborated a little bit with her on the on an article or she helped yeah, inform so an article? I wrote, a, I wrote a book chapter earlier this year on kind of a slightly mad book chapter on circuses, wrestling and the avant-garde, which are mm. three things that I never thought I would put together until this year. And it's for a book that's coming out probably next year, to be fair. Um, and the end of the book is like thinking about the way that wrestling is used in contemporary performance practice. So thinking about it as a, as a performance style, really. And I was really influenced in that by Heather's writing in her book, um, Unladylike, mm. but also by a lot of her projects um, and by a lot, yeah, a lot of her collaborations and things. She just seems to be somebody who combines wrestling with what we might understand by contemporary performance in a mm. broad, very broader sense in just such interesting ways. So yeah, so the her whole it, it was all it was all based around her and a couple of other a few other um performance artists who also use mm. wrestling. Um that was that's the final bit of the chapter. So yeah, so she was really helpful when I was writing it and sent me through some really interesting ideas that I incorporated into it. So mm. it's also a nice opportunity to say thanks for that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think she's um I mean like we've spoken a bit about um this space, this wrestling space that's um kind of I guess experimental in nature and people like Cara Noir, Tom Dawkins, who we we talk about quite a lot and who's we've worked with a lot, I think fits into that space. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a previous guest, um, Charles Crowley. Mm-hmm. I think his film, um, You Are Cordially Invited, I think that that fits comfortably, I think, within this sort of space that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, with myself, with Resurgence, we've got a new project coming out soon, um, which details of which will be coming out very soon, hopefully. And that I think is a is a is a is a project that's very much within this same space as well. And we talked mm-hmm. actually look, talked a little bit about co- with similar things with Connor, or at least before we talked to Connor last week, didn't we? About the you know this legacy of them other theatrical forms that wrestling sat shoulder to shoulder with in the past, and how that mm-hmm. you can see a lot of that I think in Heather's work, um, especially in the in the stuff that blurs into cabaret and burlesque and things like that. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I think that sense that wrestling, that, that the history of wrestling, you know, that whole co- question about like whether wrestling is sport or art is sort of moot, really, because it's both and always both of those things. And it always has been both of those things right back 
since its inception, um, you know, late kind of 19th century, and back even further actually, but especially that late 19th century period where, you know, um, quote unquote fixed fighting was becoming a thing. And you could see it in like music hall and variety shows and fairgrounds and festivals. Um, and, and I think in many ways, it's been quite odd that actually our understanding of wrestling has kind of been to split these things and to have this kind of argument mm. about whether it's sport or art, because ultimately its origin points go back to a kind of really complex intertwined moment where it was both and sport and mm. performance art and, and to try and to try and tease that apart is impossible and kind of pointless because mm. we can just see it as being both those things and I find it fascinating to think about how uh, wrestling could be understood uh, alongside a lot of kind of really interesting kind of out there performance artwork that you can see in kind of contemporary mm. performance practices and in art galleries around and theatres around the world. You see these people kind of doing really interesting things around cabaret and burlesque mm. and body art. And, and, and a lot of that, I think, can be read alongside drag artists, indeed, can be read alongside wrestling in really interesting ways. Um, so, yeah, mm. I'm sure Heather will have plenty to, to say about that intersection. Yeah, and I think it's interesting as well that Heather um, Heather's work, well, it's interesting because obviously she contributes to the performance space and works in, in performance and writing this, you know, the, the recent play Mummy Versus, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, but also, like, she's a writer in a more traditional mm -hmm. sense as well. So um, not just um, in the book Unladylike, which is a sort of um, biography and um, story of her life alongside her story of her journey through wrestling, which is really, really interesting. Um, but also um, a contributor to the wrestling scholarship space as well, because she was in the recent mm -hmm. um, recent book on um, politics. Yeah, populism. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I th and I think it, um, in many ways, it's sort of emblematic of, of kind of how wrestle, how wrestling scholarship works. Like a lot of people who are interested in wrestling are interested in a lot of other things as well. Um, whether they be fans, so like when you go and watch a show or whatever, and you see you see a kind of fandom, there's lots of intersecting fandoms there. So like mm. I find like people who are interested in wrestling may also be interested in things like bodybuilding, but also might be interested in things like computer gaming, um, or you know, or cosplay, or like there's really interesting intersections of fandoms. I think, and I think the same goes for kind of wrestling scholarship so a lot of us involved in wrestling in wrestling scholarship for want of a better phrase like come at it from such a range of disciplines like um you know and I know you're coming from a kind of curatorial background I'm from a kind of more mm. theater-based background but then there are people you know who like like Ben Litherland for example coming from a kind of history background or Tom Phillips from cultural studies or you know these people who are kind of Come, coming at wrestling in, um, in from really different perspectives and mm -hmm. who have a kind of who, who have previously kind of had a day job <laughs> you know like something else that they're re they're really interested in and I think that maybe Heather has something to say about this about kind of like a portfolio career or portfolio of interest mm -hmm. that it's not just wrestling but also other things I think wrestlers are like this too you know when we mm -hmm. speak to wrestlers like that yes they're interested in wrestling and that's what they do but they've got a background in martial arts or in theater or in you know um bodybuilding or whatever it might be it's, it's often I think there's kind of interesting intersections of different interests that come when you when you're interested in wrestling yeah and I think that's probably something that's um helped the the development of this sort of more experimental or creative space that we now see 
in contemporary wrestling is that is there's all those, those different um into it's become a kind of intersection hasn't it for the yeah. people that come from different sort of backgrounds different sort of experiences professional backgrounds but are sort of united in a and an interest in this form um and this bizarre liminal form that can be lots of different things and mean lots of different things yeah so it's a very I, productive space i think it is and i think it also kind of allows people to explore sides of their personality as well um mm. like cosplay or something like that or or like role play games or whatever it might be like these sorts of um, kind of contemporary popular culture forms that allow us to be different people allow us to explore different aspects of our identity and personality mm -hmm. and that's I maybe mean, that's, one of the reasons uh, you know I mean that's that's a definitely a theme that will come up I think in this conversation mm. because it was very much a theme that um, Heather has explored particularly in the recent play which I know you're you're keen to see yeah, I'm um, very keen to see it, yeah. Which only, I, I was lucky enough to go to a, um, a Scratch performance of uh, last month, um, and it's coming to a, a live stream event, I think live stream mm -hmm. festival in July. Mm. Um, but that was definitely like one of the one of the themes at the heart of that was um, playing around with kind of masks and characters and mm. how those aren't just things that we do in a wrestling, in a wrestling context, those are things that we do in every, in other aspects of our lives. Yeah. In, in in specifically kind of motherhood in this one yeah um yeah so it's really i think that's an idea that that have will be um probably talking about mm. yeah i think that idea of masking is really fruitful like thinking about the different masks that we wear or the different performances if you want that we do in mm. everyday life which we do all the time we're doing them now and you know we all we all yeah. have these sort of various kind of performance performance modes that we that we slip into depending on the role that we're taking or the context that we're in or whatever like this is this is not new philosophy that i'm sharing here this goes back to Kind of Irving Goffman and the idea of presenting self in everyday life and stuff like but but wrestling really allows people to do that in such interesting ways um mm. and I you know I, I'm kind of always reminded of the kind of two different versions of wrestling like wrestling character I guess so like when I speak to wrestlers some of them will say that's don't call Steve Austin thing of like oh it's me but dialed up to 11 like that sort of idea and others are like oh no totally different from my character like nothing mm. like me at all I explore somebody entirely different from me and I find that really interesting that you could that both those things could be ways of creating character in the mm. wrestling ring yeah and I think that's um so like have not to not to preempt what Heather will, <laughs> will tell us too much but um she comes from a wrestling perspective she comes from the hugely influential um London school of lucha libre which is just like a kind of production line of you know highly creative wrestlers well trained um but also like the most kind of wacky you know out there kind of characters using that lucha tradition of masks and really kind of mm -hmm. blending it with cabaret and the burlesque and things like that um yeah so the and, and I, I guess actually that's something with you know with heather's work is that it, this at the heart of all of it the writing the plays is is a kind of true understanding of wrestling like a real mm -hmm. kind of passion that comes from someone that has wrestled you need, rather than someone who's come at it as an artist i think like i think it's a really interesting there's an yeah. interesting distinction there yeah, and I think often that voice is lost, especially in scholarship. I was thinking about this with with Ben Leather and Tom Phillips the other day when we were writing something about the need to um, kind of 
uh, allow the voices of wrestlers to speak more as opposed to going oh you know that whole thing about like, wrestling's very like theater isn't it and I'm always like well not really no <laughs> actually like you know I speak as a theater historian like you try and going into like a theater space with like your kind of placard in hand and start sort of shouting things and just see how you get on with that it's actually it is like theater but it's not like theater and I think one of the, the problems of that's often happened with not speaking to wrestlers and not taking voices of wrestlers seriously in the past with this sort of stuff is that um, it, the assumptions have been made about what wrestling is or what wrestling is like. Mm. And, um, and they're and not, not entirely wrong assumptions. I have to say, they're not like way off the mark or anything, but they kind of like the nuance that when you actually start speaking to wrestlers, which I've had totally, I, we both have the kind of privilege of doing over the past few years, you're like, huh, you've really changed what I understand mm. that interconnection of wrestling and theatre to be, for example. Actually, it's more complicated than I think it is. Or, mm. you know, that whole thing about the spectacle or about character or how we tell stories or um, or how we sell injury or whatever it might be. I can make assumptions about that. But actually, until I, until I listen, like properly listen to wrestler voices, I, I just can't, even then I probably can't access it to be fair, but I can do a better job of accessing it if I do listen to voices, I think. Yeah, I think it's another feature of this. Um, here we go, have, have I has arrived, I will admit it. Right. Um, yeah, I think it's another feature of the space that um, a lot of these projects that we're talking about are wrestler led, which I think is yeah. really important. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Hello. Oh, audio connecting. <laughs> Hi, Heather. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> you connected. Could you tell that maybe I was a bit, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, unfortunately, I'm upstairs because my son hasn't left the building yet and uh, he's there. Okay. He really enjoys being on podcasts. So. <laughs> he's very welcome <laughs> yeah we've had dogs on before we had a wrestler's dog on the podcast once he is very no <laughs> <laughs> he's very sweet but uh he uh he no he's uh he needs to go for a walk um <laughs> he has a lot of business he's the son of two wrestlers so um got it yes yeah. a lot to do. <laughs> Um, it's nice yeah. to speak to you both finally in person oh it's great to speak to you too I was saying that like in our kind of prelim talk that I was like I feel like our paths have crossed like virtually like loads of times but we've not actually ever had a conversation so I'm really excited about actually being able to like sit down and talk for a bit it's very cool so um yeah yeah great um should we should we dive straight in and um and see where we get to um, we're, we're, for, for listeners, we're recording this in the hour leading up to England playing the World, <laughs> the World Cup. So if we start to hear, not the World Cup, what are they playing, Sam? Euros. Um, they're playing so, Germany. Yeah. They're, they're playing Germany. Germany. Cool. Like, so there's this, yeah. So, so if we hear the shouts around us, then that's what's happening uh, at, at, at the hour. Um, so Heather, maybe you could um, start by kind of introducing yourself properly. We did a kind of prelim thing where we just talked about how much we both love your work, but maybe like you could just like um, kind, of, kind of explain who you are for our listeners. 
so I'm Heather Vandenberg. Um, I am a performance artist and writer, and I'm going to say wrestler in a fallow period um, as I've taken some time out. And then there was a pandemic, and now, um, yeah. So uh, basically, um, I accidentally took up wrestling in 2012 um, um, in London, and then, um, but I have got a gender studies and cabaret and comedy background and um, I hate sport so the fact that I took up wrestling was always going to be an entertaining journey in the first place um, but I've wrestled um, with uh, Lucha Britannia and Burning Hearts and some other weird and wonderful um, sort of cabaret ventures um, basically bringing wrestling into like the theatre arena and also to crowds that maybe have never seen wrestling and know nothing about it like I very much was um in 2019 I released a book called unladylike a girl's guide to wrestling and since then um I've basically been writing about how wrestling is a act of feminist rebellion about how even though it's very masculine arena um it's you can massively subvert it just by being present in it um and I'm very much into this whole kind of claiming of violent femininity and using violence as like a bit well I say violence pretend fighting as a vehicle for storytelling so um as well as being a writer and wrestling I'm also um I make art about subjects I'm particularly interested in um which are always very niche so um, I ran a cabaret night called I need to share for two years which was just essentially me tricking people into coming to a two-hour presentation about Cher by putting some cabaret acts in it. Um, and um, I have just recently finished my first non-Cher solo work, which was called um, Mummy Versus, which is basically a wrestling show about being a parent in lockdown. So that's mm -hmm. kind of where my career has brought me at this stage. And there's some other things, like I've written for you know, academic texts on wrestling and stuff like that. But, you know, that's not as interesting, in my opinion, as about Cher. But that's just me. So um, that's, <laughs> that's who I am. Great. That's really helpful. And actually, we're going to come back to so many of those um, areas of your career during our conversation, I hope. Um, so, yeah, that really sets us up brilliantly. So, um, so I'm going to kind of, um, my, my initial question is around kind of sport and performance. So we talk a lot on this podcast about how wrestling sits um, kind of between or both and sport and performance. But I'm kind of interested in your kind of prelim where you said, I don't like sports <laughs> at all. And, and that's fascinating to me. So I was sort of, um, so maybe you could kind of riff off that a little bit and tell us a bit more about that, but also what you think some of the performances that wrestling can be compared to are like specific performance forms that wrestling can be compared to. Yeah, so so run with either of those. Okay, well, first of all, um, yeah, it's a quite a big statement. I hate, I hate exercise. Um, I think that physical education, particularly for girls in this country, is very hit and miss. And I didn't have a very nice time with sports at school because um, I'm not competitive. And even though, and I'm a bit of a show off. So the, the only option available to me at school was uh, netball, which is a game where if you catch the ball, you just can't move. 
um, you know, that's not going to entice me into the world of exercise. That's not worth getting sweaty for. So basically, um, I, because there was so little exercise available to me or ways to sort of move my body and, and I suppose sort of reach a goal of whether it be a physical fitness or like team building activity or anything like that. It just nothing appealed to me um, when I was younger. And it basically continued into my adult life to the point where before I took up wrestling, I was like actively hated wrestling. Like I mocked people if they went to the gym because I was just like, what are you doing to yourself? You're, you're paying to do manual labor to yourself was one of my famous quotes that is quoted back to me now that I do exercise quite regularly. Um, and I think that if there was more um, variety of sport and physical activity um, provided to young people and girls, I'm sure there is now, but I think that I would have had a very different relationship because my relationship with sport was basically, you know, I'm fat and I'm unfit and those are reasons for people to pick on me. So I may as well just not try. So if we bring that to wrestling, wrestling is obviously incredibly, it requires you to do a lot of physical exertion. It's, you need to be ridiculously fit. But in my opinion, the exercise became a means to an end because it's like becoming a performance mm -hmm. artist. It's like, I'm never going to do press ups in order to have a nice body or be, you know, that I was just never going to be that kind of person. But I'm going to do press ups in order to do a backflip where it looks like I'm knocking someone's head off. Yeah, that's a goal that I can... <laughs> I can see. So I suppose in, if you then relate that, to, and that's what wrestling was for me. It became more about performance and the theatrical aspects of it. And um, that really was more akin to things like drag, which I always, a lot of people say that wrestling is drag for straight people. I just think wrestling is drag full stop. I don't think you need to <laughs> make it anything else. But this whole idea of stepping into some another persona and the physicality of like unlearning your embodied practices. So with wrestling, a really good example is um, jumping. Um, you have to spend quite a long time learning to jump when you're a wrestler because you have to do things like jump over your opponents and jump onto the top rope and, you know, make it look like someone's knocked you over backwards six foot into the air. But I discovered quite early into learning to wrestle that I'd been learning to jump in a way that constricted my own movement um, my entire life because I'd been learning. I basically learned how to jump like S Club 7, you know, S Club 7. <laughs> and the way that they used to jump, like used to jump in the air, yeah. like the photo shoots and you like tuck your knees under. Yeah, that's how I thought you jumped, which is just you're immediately stopping yourself getting like at least another foot of just using your thighs. So it's like unlearning that quite gendered way of jumping of like, well, you want to look pretty while you jump instead of how high you can get. And I think when I've spoken to people who've taken up drag, whether they're in person, you know, they're a drag king or a drag queen or they're just embodying like another another person the way they walk the way that they hold themselves and they take up space in front of people they have to unlearn and be conscious of, of changing these subtle movements and for me that's like the biggest comparison I think there's more comparisons with drag than there is mm. with something like you know boxing with wrestling but that's just me that's how I mm. came at it mm. um so and then I also think that wrestling 
even though obviously it's like it is a sport I also think it is akin to other in terms of the way that it runs as an industry I think it is more like something like music is that you have so many practitioners who are doing it purely for the love of it who aren't making any money who quite often are doing it out of their own pocket who are going to go their entire lives without ever getting like on tv or getting anywhere and I think that that's something as well that we don't tend to talk about in wrestling is this whole fact that like 97% of wrestlers won't make it. But does that mean that their experience isn't valid? Mm-hmm. So that's another thing that I always think about as someone who considers themselves very much a failed musician as well. So, yeah. Yeah, I think those comparisons are just so interesting with drag, but also with like the music industry. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. Like, and um that sense of like what it what it is to do something like said to do wrestling for fun seems such an odd thing to say but like to do something for the simple joy of doing it as opposed to necessarily imagining that you're going to go and win belts in America for example like because you're right 90% of people that's not you know that's not going to happen but there is still a joy in being in the ring and doing the things that you do, I guess. Um, mm. I yeah. think that's one thing that comes comes across, not to preempt the dis- discussion around the book, but in the kind of um, passages of the book where you're, where you're talking about those first experiences of learning to wrestle, like mm. that just kind of um, really shone out as a kind of like passion for that sort of passion for doing it, like doing it for the, for the fun of it, like you've just said, Claire, I think. Yeah. 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 yeah, and I think that there's a lot to be said for. So I think it's very difficult to you go down this because obviously it's like, well, wrestling, then are you wrestling as a hobby? Wrestling is a very high impact, expensive, painful, strange mm-hmm. hobby, but it is one because ultimately it's like, where do we define what we work as and how we define our identity? And you know, I wouldn't be, I could say to people I'm a wrestler, but technically I'm not. Technically, I've I never really earned a lot of money from doing it. And I've always had to supplement my income by doing other things. And I would say that, again, like <laughs> even people that I've seen, you know, get to the point where they're on TV and stuff like that, you know, they still actually have a day job. Mm. So there's kind of like um, this thing that you really do have to do it for the love of it because mm. if you're not why are you putting your body through this much pain and anguish um but also I think that there's a lot to be said about the changes that are going on in the wrestling industry to kind of get wrestlers to the point where we are being paid better um, you know we can do things like claim insurance when we get smacked in the face and can't work you know I think that's really important that we get respected more for what we do mm. um <clears throat> but I still think that it is one of those things that you lose so much of it if you stop enjoying the theatrical and silly part of it. If you take it too seriously in my mind, it can completely destroy your life. <laughs> You're yeah. just really making yourself into a bit of a masochist, but that's just me. Yeah. I don't take wrestling as seriously, I think, as many people, even though I would say it's definitely saved my life, you know. Oh, that's interesting. Could you talk, uh, if you'd feel up for talking a little bit more about like that final statement that you just made there about like the importance that you like don't, not taking wrestling seriously, but it also being serious oh, at the same time. Yeah, res- um, oh no, wrestling absolutely saved my life. Before I before I started, I got um before I got my deal to to work on a book um, about wrestling because it is 
it is partly a, quite it's a very autobiographical account of it I talked mm. a lot to people and lots of different projects when I made zines um and obviously zines for those who aren't listening are essentially photocopies journalism so it's like a punk way of distributing writing basically without having a, a publishing deal but I made one called masks wrestling and mental health and I just basically spoke to loads of trainees I knew about wrestling and mental health and how for something that is aggressive and does require you to kind of put on another mask it's very therapeutic for a lot of people the amount of people who kind of were like I was suicidally depressed before I took up wrestling or wrestling is like such a form of escapism it got me through a really difficult part of my life it's insane Mm. and I think before for me um I don't really talk about this as like a big thing because I don't really want to make my art about it but I was raped when I was at university and rather than actually kind of dealing with it um I very much took it on board as something that was somehow my fault which sadly does happen quite often um and it wasn't very much like you know I was asking for it it was more that I was weak and it happened to me because I hadn't I could have fought back or I could have done something to you know make this person pay for their consequence the consequences of their action mm. and that pulled in all of this other kind of stuff about being weak in other areas and being physically unfit and all of this kind of stuff and it wasn't until I took up wrestling where people kind of said to me oh you know it, it's okay for you to to make more noise and take up more space and be complete a complete show off in fact we're actively encouraging you to do those things that I started to kind of gain my self-worth and be like it's not you know I'm I'm doing this thing of course it's not going to change what happened in the past but I'm seeing a version of me that I'm forming to become stronger and to become the kind of person that that it that would not happen to now so for me it was very therapeutic I think that it also helps that I met like a really interesting group of people who I wouldn't have met otherwise because I think wrestlers we are all very different people the one thing that brings us together is a love of fake violence like there's no other kind of you know thing that makes people take up or enjoy wrestling in my opinion Mm. so I think that that as well it becomes like a group therapy because you're like well we're all very different and we all have our own demons that we're trying to kind of combat and you'll get people who are really have the opposite problem of me whereas they're maybe really really physically fit and have loved sports since day one know loads about wrestling and love wrestling but are actually quite shy and can't Mm -hmm. make a total tit of themselves and it's really it's really um I always found wrestling training particularly like a very nice leveler in that sense that we'd all Mm. have this thing that we were working towards like it like like group therapy essentially where you wouldn't necessarily talk about the problems that you were bringing to the table but you'd work your way through them so it definitely saved my life and it also I did like meet my husband there and then led to me having two children so you know it's quite important I would say yeah (laughs) thank you those were not the things I expected to happen but they did (laughs) (laughs) no that's awesome thank you so much for sharing that kind of traumatic story but I I think it's really important to understand for for listeners and for us all to kind of understand 
how important wrestling can be to people you know that yes it's silly and we see it's quite silly it can be quite silly but it's also (laughs) yeah but it's also really important and and it can be both those things at the same time and I think that's such an important thing to acknowledge so yeah thank you for sharing that story with us it's awesome Mm. um I wondered if we could actually it leads us on to thinking a bit about collaboration because you know you mentioned there that you kind of met this group of people very diverse group of people but all like like passionate about about play play fighting and um, <laughs> and and kind of and and exploring their identity and themselves in the ring so um a lot of your work seems mm. to be really collaborative um and i wondered if you could say a little bit about mm. why collaboration is important to you how those collaborations function um yeah the joy take that's taken in, in that collaborative process i suppose mm. Well, I suppose. Um, well, actually, no. I don't. I don't. Before wrestling, I don't know how collaboratively I did work. Honestly, um, I have um, a best. I have a. Be- I have a best friend. I have a friend. <laughs> we I was twelve, um, and we were both weird. The weird kids in the small town, and we. Uh, her name's Rebecca Biscuit. She's half of Shit Theatre, mm-hmm. who are performance art duo. Um, but other than her, who, you know, I formed a band with when I was 15 and she went off and sort of did lots of comedy and things like that. But I was always very much like, well, you're really good at that. I wish I could do it. Um, but apart from her, I never really collaborated with anyone until I thought that, you know, to make art, you put on a costume and then you stood up and then you did some talking in front of some people. And then you went away and told yourself it was shit. And, and that's how you got better. But I didn't realise, actually, that... Uh, Oh, we lost the link, Sam. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh you're, sorry, you're back, Heather. We, we lost you there just for a second. Um, oh, sorry. Um, I thought, I, I, it didn't occur to me that you could actually, you know, train and learn skills. Again, something because I hated exercise so much, I probably missed that. Um, so when I became, when I started wrestling, where you are forced literally to work with other people that you have nothing in common with, because you're like, well, in order to learn how to do this thing, I have to put my head in your armpit person I've just met um you start thinking very differently about your relationship with the other people you're performing with so well yeah that's a good example it's like um to do to do a wrestling match effectively it's only good if you're working with the other person you know egos Mm -hmm. can't get in the way in wrestling because you you know if you don't make your opponent look good you both look rubbish yeah and this whole concept of that kind of working where you both are bringing things to the table but you're doing it not in order to compete with each other but to create this new thing together that actually could potentially only ever happen once like like you know realistically you can't actually physically reproduce every single element of a wrestling match like that's fascinating when you think about it as a concept Mm. of creating art um And as someone who always, who never like went to drama school or improv classes or anything like that, like every single thing I've learned about making work is entirely learned from wrestling. Mm. So that can be from, you know, I, now I, if I make anything, I'm like, I have to get as much feedback as possible to improve it. So I think that's where my love for collaboration has really come from. This whole Mm. idea that even if in front of, 
you know, an audience, you're beating the shit out of each other. Actually, you are still working to make them have a better experience. Mm. So I suppose the other thing as well is that this whole idea that through wrestling, I met all these different people based on this love of one thing led me to um, create my other, you know, body of work, which is about share. Mm. Um, I'm going to talk about Cher now because she's amazing. Cher. Yeah, no, no, um, please talk about Cher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's literally, literally I, the next question, I think, was, uh, yeah, could you talk Let's about Cher? We talk about Cher now. <laughs> okay, so in, I got, so, how do I say this? I became obsessed with Cher overnight um, in about 2013. Um, basically, um I watched the film Mask and I had no idea that Cher had done anything other than um, release a song Believe. And I got, I get, overnight, I spent the night just Googling her and I became so obsessed with her. That I decided that I was going to basically become like an expert on Cher. And I had no, and I became in, like evangelical about telling people why Cher was amazing. And instead of me just being like, well, this is a weird thing that I shouldn't tell people about, because I'd taken up wrestling, which was very much like, oh, no, 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 you should definitely, you know, use all of these very weird elements about yourself and use them as your strengths. I was like, well, I have this very, very, you know, um, what's the word? Um, no, it's completely gone. I am pregnant, by the way. I'm seven months pregnant, so this <laughs> might keep happening. Um, you know, I've, I've got this very um, distinct form of knowledge, which is just a lot of share facts. Um, how can I turn this into a piece of art? So I just put a call out for anyone who was a performance artist who loved Cher. And it's basically turned into this monster of, you know, circus performers and drag queens and comedians and life drawing models and all of these and bingo callers and all these people who are just like, I love Cher. I also love Cher. And um, then a club night where the audience all turn up and they're like, let me talk to you about the night that Cher tweeted me. And and it's great because we all just come together all of these different people from these different backgrounds just because Cher's amazing and that's the only thing that we have in common um and making that show what it is and this night where basically people turn up and I do a 60 slide powerpoint presentation about Cher where basically everyone goes yeah she did win an Oscar yeah and she's won like 20 Grammys yeah Cher's amazing oh wow another fact I didn't know about Cher and then you know here's some amazing you know, cabaret of, you know, someone dressed as a horse singing Gypsies, Tramps and Thieves, for example, mm -hmm. you know, that's yeah, all think, about collaboration. So <laughs> I think this is so interesting. That's why Before I think you... collaboration is the most amazing thing. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. And mm -hmm. I think it's so it's interesting because before you came on, Sam and I were talking about like the way that different fandoms come together. So like wrestling fans mm -hmm. are also fans of other things. And I think that that is sometimes overlooked, but your kind of your share project like is such a, a wonderful representation of that, that actually like I find that wrestling fans are really are, are kind of deeply fascinating people because they're wrestling fans, but they're also into this. And it's kind of quite like a niche thing or like they're also into, I, I just find these whole like intersecting mm. fandom things just like deeply fascinating and the way that they intersect, you know? Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, mm. Like the crossover between wrestling wrestlers and D&D &D is like, that's, mm -hmm. that, that's a world. Mm -hmm. Aha. Yeah. I, um, totally right. Yeah. 
Um, um, I'm, yes. I'm, I'm a second generation D&D player. So obviously for me, I'm like, well, I finally have found my people. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think, and it's interesting that fandom, when you say I'm a fan of something, people are like, oh, you're like a, like a fan of football or a fan of, you know, oh, I have their t-shirt and I go to their concerts. It's like, no, I'm a fan so much that uh, I uh, have five bags under my bed of share costumes and I run a cabaret night because I can't control my love for her. You know, that's basically what wrestlers are, is that we're such big fans that it's not enough to just like something like we have mm-hmm. to actually do it. So, yeah, it, I agree. Wrestling fans... It's an interesting world, and I guess that's what I've always wanted to make my art and my writing about: is bringing in other people to this to this very strange place where we all cheer and boo and go home happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. traditionally been such a like straight male place, and I don't think that I don't think it needs to be. And that's kind mm-hmm. of what a lot of my work is still about, mm-hmm. in the same yeah. way that. Well, one of my share nights, I met this guy called George. George comes to all of our nights. George is a barrister with a wife and two children. And he loves Cher so much that when he went to see her live, a muscle next to his heart exploded. He just loves Cher. <laughs> and he loves our night because he's like, I can't go to most things like share spaces because I'm a straight man. And people mm. think it's weird that I love Cher this much. But here... People are just like, oh yeah, you love Cher, she's amazing. And I think that creating a space where people feel that comfortable to mm-hmm. sort of be brought together under one umbrella instead of looking for all of these distinctions is something you want to share mm-hmm. <laughs> once. Very good. <laughs> and that's how I feel about wrestling and evangelical yeah. about it. I don't think it's yeah. not flawed in the same way Cher is flawed, you know. Yeah. She's yeah. a crazy woman. So anyway, that was uh, nine minutes of talking about Cher. So no, no, actually, but 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 was but actually answered the question about collaboration in a really wonderful way. So that's mm. awesome. And leads us on to thinking about um uh feminism and gender politics, I think, in really interesting ways as well. So mm. On your website, you call yourself, quote, a professional and ladylike writer and performance artist. And I've been thinking since reading that and since reading your book, which is absolutely wonderful, by the way, and I recommend to all listeners, Unladylike, um, the title of your book. And we should definitely mention that Mick Foley reviewed it. I think that's a a, a kind of a a biggie to mention here. Um, So maybe you could talk a little bit about how your work and maybe wrestling more generally, if you like, uh, kind of substantiate or indeed twist these ideas of gender. Um, so, uh, we're, uh, you know, looking at your work, it really exhibits a sense of feminist politics um, and kind of uses wrestling, as Sam and I were actually talking about this afternoon, as this was sort of an additional question thrown in last minute, but <laughs> thinks about wrestling as being a kind of um, a form of resistance, like a form of feminist resistance. Um, yeah, so I don't know if any of that sparks anything in you. <laughs> I'm sure it maybe does. That, in that's terms of what uh, you're that's in. great. That's just like um, every time someone asks me to write a bio. So if you, I could just copy and paste that. <laughs> um, it comes back to that first thing when I was told to take up space and make more room. Like I, the concept of being ladylike is something that makes me furious and angry um, mm. because. It's such a, being a lady is such a loaded 
term and this whole idea that if you're you I I'd like to think girls don't get told as much as I did and probably Claire you did as, as children like you know you have to sit with your legs crossed in case the world sees that you might have a vagina and you have to do all these things and your body and your body is constantly policed and if it's not just about making an exhibition of yourself it's like you know um presenting yourself in a way that is deemed attractive or intelligent or you know fitting for you to be interpreted by the world mm. so it's not necessarily about you the, the whole idea of being ladylike is not necessarily about you feeling happier with yourself or doing things you actually want to do it's the whole idea that you have to do things because that is how you, the box you need to fit into in society because of your vagina um and you know that's the problem with gender roles and that, that they can be that's you know the, the tip of the surface of the ways that gender roles can be very constricting and very problematic and the whole idea of being ladylike is you're not supposed to be aggressive and you're not supposed to be angry and you're not supposed to disagree with things in a way that is seen as you know that you're you're passionate or about it and it affects you deeply and personally so basically the list of all the things that are unladylike are basically things that I I do which is you know I'm, I'm noisy and I take up too much space and I'm very emotional and you know I'm, I'm messy and I've got body hair you know things like that which I don't want to have to apologize for and I think that it's not so much that I want to subvert these things like I feel like I've been subverting things my whole life by just not being you know the, the the person I'm supposed to be but more that there should be a choice there should be a choice for people to say yeah actually I do want to do things like shave my armpits and not be seen like I'm oppressed there should be more space mm-hmm. and the whole idea of being unladylike I suppose is that you're not just defying these things in your everyday but you're just drawing attention to them and you're making people go oh actually there is no you know that is a completely constructed thing and why do I why do I feel it's wrong that you're doing this thing I've been feeling this a lot recently since I became a parent Mm. um like I obviously there is always you know there is a line that you shouldn't cross with children in terms of you know you should love them and you should do your best but that's kind of what most people do so this whole idea that when you're pregnant you're doing it better or worse than someone else when you're gestating someone like if you buy I don't know buggies there's a good example the whole idea that you should spend more money on a pram or spend more money or or go out and buy the best pram possible that is going to make you a better parent or some way more responsible for your child or love them more is fucking ridiculous but it's something that people do and society kind of makes us do those things in order to achieve this unachievable goal that we have in our brains like the ideal parent version of me would have the McLaren buggy and and I think that if you find something that you love and kind of lets you be that that thing and gives you some confidence and a community that says no actually you're fine as you are Mm. that's a really powerful thing and that's kind of the whole thing that I've been exploring with unladylike it's not enough to just go on a rant about buggies like there's I could do that there's nothing you know it doesn't go very far if you actually look at the things which are great about not being these things and explore them and experiment with them and celebrate them, I think there's 
you know, I think there's a lot of space in the world of art and theatre and wrestling for like comedy and happiness mm. and celebration and solidarity with finding ways to get through these like everyday acts of resistance. And that's kind mm. of what my work's about, I would suppose. Mm. Yeah, I think that's, I, you know, I, I just going riffing off your kind of buggy conversation as well, it turns like the identity into like a commercial act, right? Like you, you, yeah, like you, you are, that. you are the perfect thing because you can buy the perfect thing, which just seems so weird to me. Like that you had to be part of this capitalist system, and and mm-hmm. only if you are a really good consumer can you be perfect. Blah. And so exactly to so come back to wrestling as a, mm. it completely subverts that. It's like obviously you know some wrestlers get rich, but not many of them do. Most people, the whole idea that wrestling is a sport that is not competitive you know it's not something that you can buy you can't buy being the better wrestler I think I always use an example of one of the best wrestlers I know were the Thames Water the majority of his career and was constantly being asked for tips backstage by someone who was a bloody executive at Google Maps and I'm like you watch these things happen backstage and you realize that you know it's not a ca- it's not a capitalist system because it's mm. meritocracy in the purest mm. sense like you yeah. can be in some ways you don't win a belt even if you're the best wrestler in the room you might lose a belt oh. but it's about the telling of a story mm. I love that yeah sorry go Sam no you go you go Cam. no no I didn't want to necessarily bring it bring it down because <laughs> it's so so joyous and I love this and yeah. I, I just wondered if you had anything to say, and you might absolutely not have anything to say about this, but anything to say about about wrestling's kind of trickier history, I suppose. And like, you know, talking about it being a site of resistance, which I totally am buying into. I think this is um, absolutely Mm -hmm. how I see wrestling as well. But also, of course, we're a year on from kind of speaking out and everything that came along with that and the kind of slightly more problematic history of wrestling in terms of gender. And I wondered if you had the grapple I'll say grappled with that no pun intended grappled with 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 that with that trickiness at all um as you approach wrestling I've had lots of feelings about it mm. um obviously I'm I'm happy that this has all happened I mean no mm. I you know I speak to say so I've I've spoken to a lot of fans male fans or people who are not who are cis male and maybe have not had the experience of training to be a wrestler as a non-cis male person and like the shock and the upset and the and the and the you know speechlessness that this could have possibly have happened is you know was very much like presented to me constantly and it kind of made me sad because I'm like well no this is it's been shit for a really long time like it's been horrible to the point that you know like I've, I've always thought found myself I think quite lucky the places that I've trained I've met people who um you know like I said like like fuck with this whole idea of like masculinity within wrestling people like Cassandra Exotico mm. for example or Thomas Dawkins people like that you know those are the people who I've worked with and have looked after me and I've looked up to I've never felt in a position myself where I've had to impress a man mm. in order to get things because I'm very much of the school of well actually well if 
I have to do this thing in order to get booked at your ship promotion. Well, fuck you, mm. you know, but that's, you know, I knew that from day one. One of the first conversations I had with my trainer was like, you know, you're not going to get booked anywhere, right? Because like, you're not attractive in the <laughs> traditional sense and you're not trying to be. And they were very much like, but that's fine. And, you know, we're here for that. But you know that, right? You know that that's what you're, the feedback you're going to get. And that's quite a horrible thing to come mm. into when you think about it. But it's just like that, you know, not even underground. Like, this is just something you have to, in a way, it was like a warning rather than mm. like, and that's going to, mm. and we're here to change it. It's like, that's just how it is. Mm. So... I think the bravery and the incredible resilience of all of the people who have name names and speaking out and have been part of it is huge. And I think the changes that have happened are amazing. Are they going to actually be carried out every single training session on every single man in the whole country? That's what I'm interested to find out. And yeah. because... I did quite a lot of research into the history of women's wrestling when um, I was writing my book. Um, I've got like a, a very potted version at the back, which um, mm. I've, has been pulled apart by many people who don't know me, who find time to find me in the smoking area and tell me the sentence I got wrong, which I don't care about. But basically, <laughs> there's... Um, the 1940s you know during the world war fucking in america there was a, there was so, there was almost as many female wrestlers as male male mm. wrestlers they could draw just as big a crowd what happened mm. in the preceding 70 years that women just got sidelined forgotten but yet continued to be abused you know it's yeah. like don't pretend that this hasn't that this is a new thing it's not it's like if in many ways it's actually like even worse is like the repeated forgetting of history and the forgetting of names and the forgetting of all of the fights that have happened before mm. has finally mm. culminated in, in us having these discussions now but it's like I, I guess and I hope that me saying this isn't going to be you know a problem for my career <laughs> I don't care it's like the WWE I have a massive fucking problem with them because on one hand obviously they're trying to rectify previous mistakes but they haven't exactly done a huge amount to hold themselves up and go oh actually we treated women and continue to treat women really 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 badly until quite recently mm. you know mm. there's not yeah. been a huge and until they start doing that until they start pulling things apart until they actually start doing things like literally putting a lot of money into going back and pulling out all of the names of the women that they had and maybe in their previous rosters and what they did to them and how it affected their lives. People like Luna Vachon, people like China, you know, that they're just going to carry on being like, oh, sorry, sorry, don't worry about that. Look, look, new WrestleMania, it's going to be fine. That, no. Yeah. So yeah. I suppose the other thing that I feel very strongly about is that even though we can make changes to like the training of wrestlers, I also think that backstage until there is more promotions that are run by women or writers who are women or even referees that are women you know I don't think that things are going to change so mm -hmm. I'm interested to see what happens as things come back yeah. but I just think that 
you don't want this to be another moment in history that is like incredible and then is just forgotten you know mm-hmm. yeah cool. yeah no that's awesome thank you for sharing that um, I'm it's 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 really great to get your kind of perspective on it I didn't want to kind of bring the down no, of all the joy triggering. but I think it's yeah. important you know you're right like what you said about you know it's important to address to address it as well it kind of wrestling is a complex thing right and we're all kind of aware of it so um yeah um yeah Sam you were coming coming in earlier on and I cut across you forever ago <laughs> no uh, no it's absolutely fine I, I wholeheartedly agree um obviously we often speak of the kind of virtues and the great stuff about wrestling but it also needs to be um discussed alongside all those all those problematic and and more negative aspects of wrestling that that still exist um yeah so the next bit we wanted to move on to was um storytelling and mm. obviously as well as being you know a wrestler a writer obviously the writing tells a story as well but you you also um create and tell great stories like the like the new play mummy versus um, so just wanted to pick out, starting to pick out kind of some of your views on storytelling. Um, in the book, um, which I've had the pleasure of kind of reacquainting myself with the last few days and just really enjoying it the second time around. And Claire said that as well. Yeah, it's um, brilliant. It's great. We picked out this, there's this uh, section where you talk about um, storytelling and wrestling quite specifically and kind of explain it um, to your audience um, and yeah, in the quote, you say that um, telling a story through wrestling is an exercise in the suspension of disbelief. The audience know that the violence isn't real, but like a play, if the characters are believable and the style is believable, they will respond like they are in a Roman arena. For a short time, the audience will feel truly that the forces of good and evil are at play in the ring. Wrestling gives people the chance to express themselves in this way and to align themselves simply with storytelling. Um, yeah, so I wondered if you could start by just kind of um, talking into that a little bit and talking into your kind of um, understanding of wrestling storytelling and how that kind of marries to your your work that sort of takes wrestling into new areas of storytelling. Yeah, I mean, uh, whatever I say isn't going to be as articulate as what I managed to write before my brain got turned to mush by children, but I'll give it a go. No. <laughs> Listen, I think that I, because I'm not someone who sees, I, you know, I wasn't, I was, I, I didn't watch wrestling as a child. I very much came to wrestling as an adult and I came to it via, you know, some weird places. And um, I, in wrestling, I find it really hard to get behind characters that I'm not invested in. Um because oh hello there I'm back (laughs) because I just think there's so much potential with wrestling because like I said you're suspending the audience's disbelief to create these absolutely over-the-top characters I'll give you an example my favorite type of wrestling is lucha libre hands down lucha libre is incredible to watch and the characters are completely ridiculous there is no question no one questions the fact that like I'm a fish or like you know (laughs) I'm a dog or like I'm a chicken or I am a chupacabra you know no one questions that they're like oh okay I love the chupacabra man he's great you know they are just so pulled in by hating this character or loving this character that every single thing that they do yeah, gets them out of their seat. I think 
I'm going to see live Lucha Libre. That was a masterclass in it. It's because like, of course, there's no way that someone could like, you know, naturally get punched in the face and do a backwards somersault and then a flip and then catch. But it's so high paced and it's so skilled. And it's so, it's like you, you at some points you're watching it and you're just like, how are they doing that without mm. dying? Literally, you know, <laughs> to see that kind of physical spectacle to me is so much more exciting and, and and brilliant because of its liveness because it's not you're like it's not cgi it's not on a screen it's not pretending to be like a gritty bar fight in east london where everyone talks like this and they're all called dave and that's their fight you know anything like that i'm like well yeah i can i can see that on netflix on a made for tv film you know i that doesn't excite me as much as seeing two people who are clearly so skilled at what they do that they basically are working together to create like this really intricate dance. Mm. That's what I love about wrestling because it is, like I said, the audience know it's not an actual fight where, you know, they've got real grief. They might have real life grievances. In fact, often people who have the real life grievances, they don't come into it in the ring. It's the fact that you're seeing something that is so, that can't be re-performed. Like it's so mm. contingent on that moment and those two people working together perfectly to get that moment where you're going Wah! you know I I've never I've never seen anything like it the fact that it is so much more amazing because I suppose you're mixing the drama of 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 feeling you know you like one person you dislike another one and the whole idea of storytelling that works well is not necessarily when they're doing the obvious things, but when they keep you on the edge of the seat and keep you going back for more and keep you getting to the point. There's like so many, um, someone described to me as like a good wrestling match is just blue balling. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's mm. what it should be. Um, sorry, that's not an academic thing to say, is it really? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really, I see, there's so much in that. <laughs> Yeah. So many interesting things in that. Um, and so, so, so many interesting things. Wrestling isn't male-dominated society. It's like people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, well, the other thing is, and I, so bringing this back to like the way that I've been making art recently is that a lot of the things that I'm trying to do, I'm trying to find these really boring things, these boring daily battles, for example, between, you know, My Child's Imagination and Peppa Pig. How, I feel so strongly about that that it's like a rest, like a battle between good and evil. But how can I make that understandable in a way that's exciting and engaging? Turn it into a wrestling match. Make Peppa Pig most evil creature alive and put him against a really lovable version of a child's imagination. That is where I now have taken wrestling in my own work. But to try and take the domestic and go, yes, of course it's not fucking pepper actual pepper pig pepper pig isn't real but it's what they represent yeah um so yeah for me it's just like it's violent panto and um i think that i i think that wrestling has been considered low culture for such a long time that i mm. think that we should use it to embrace and retell the everyday and flip the whole thing on its head completely and that's why i absolutely mm. adore it so mm. Yeah, that's. Um, I mean, out of many kind of standout fights in the uh, in the Mummy versus show, I think I think maybe that was my favourite one, the Peppa Pig and the in the Child's <laughs> Imagination. At the moment, I'm working on a new show um, with a drag king wrestler called Hannah Lawless or Rich T, 
um, who is patriarchy in the show. But we're writing a show called National Health Smackdown, which is um, essentially going to be us take, talking about like the canonization of and like cuts to the NHS that have happened throughout COVID and then just taking the battles and making them into these like silly pantomime matches. And it's just fun, if nothing else, creating wrestling characters and making them mm. actually making them come to life. It's just like a really fun thing to do for an artist and then to give to an audience. Mm. You know, I could have made a 40 minute one woman show talking about how I have postnatal depression. I could, I could have done that, but instead I put some wrestling in it. And now I'm just like, yeah, now I feel much better about the audience sitting through it and paying me a tenner to watch it. It's just... <laughs> Yeah, and I think one of the real um, things that stood out um, watching the theater, the show live and things like that was um, how you kind of use wrestling, which is like 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 we've said, it's kind of violent. So on the surface, it's very simple, and the storytelling is quite simple. It's a it's a it's a good guy versus a, well, a goodie versus a baddie. Um, there's a hero and there's a villain, but actually, it has it also has a kind of more complex like capacity to to kind of reach out and speak to other things outside of wrestling um and there's not a lot of wrestling that really historically has done that but increasingly there are wrestlers who who have that kind of ability and that imagination to take to take the form and start dealing with issues outside of it um i wondered like one of the one of the ways that you used um characters and and masks in in the play was really really interesting so i wondered whether you could talk into that a little bit yeah, I think so. I think that we talk, I, the show talks a lot about the reason why being a wrestler is great is because you get to go and literally pretend to be someone else. And I think in society, we're really obsessed with this old idea of like, you know, this is my fixed identity. This is who I am. I finally found who I am rather than being like, but it's okay for me to pretend I'm this other person when I go into this space or this social scenario. You know, we punish ourselves for the fact that we're different people at work and we're different people with our lovers and we're different people with our children when really that's just actually being an, a human and actually is an amazing capacity that all people have to be able to do is to be you know all of these different versions of ourselves um so there's that element of talking about mass but in terms of creating these ridiculous characters um that I then had in wrestling shows it was very much just from talking to parents mm. and literally asking them like oh you know in lockdown what was like the biggest thing that you had to deal with or that's like the most embarrassing thing that you're just like I really you know this is a huge thing in my life that I don't want to talk about you know but I think about it all the time you know for me it's like Peppa Pig and my obsession with screen time that I'm I hate her so much that it's actually quite weird that I hate this this fucking pig so much but for other people it was like you know oh, I have a glass of wine sometimes when I'm really stressed. It's like, why are we, obviously I'm not condoning alcoholism, but I'm like, that's just like quite a normal thing. But for some people, they build that up in their mind that it becomes so huge that it's like literally a demon that they're constantly battling and they're a massive failure. So in some ways it was really fun to be able to create all of these characters from like my very boring life as a parent. But at the other time it was quite, healing to be able to take all of these people's feelings and thoughts that they wouldn't have necessarily shared I think outside of the context of like an interview and someone asking them those quite direct questions so and I think that there is a point about wrestling is reflective of the wider world 
And I think, I'm not saying it's been done particularly well in the past. I think that people have played with some quite damaging stereotypes to create like, you know, easy cheers and boos. But I think we have to remember like, that's kind of what wrestling has always played off. Mm-hmm. Like as far back as, you know, it's the, the time it was a carnival, like the baddie is a baddie because it does certain things that people dislike. The goodie is the goodie because they do things that the audience will like. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to know this guy who we'd go to like camp shows like the Isle of Sheppey um, and um there had been like a spate of barns being burnt down, like an arson attack. And he just literally, like the first thing he said is like, I burnt down those barns. And the audience <laughs> hated him. Oh my God. It's just like that. Like that's hilarious. He's had to say this. It's just like, like actually knowing your audience, making that one comment, mm. it literally that made his match about 25 times better because the children and like the crowd, everyone freaking hated him. Mm. So I think it's really fun to be able to take things that are actually quite, you like the NHS is one we're doing at the moment because, you know, if you look at the way that the media talks about the NHS, you know, they're fighting, the cuts, you know, like people are in recovery and, you know, the way that they discuss people working on the front line of COVID and stuff, it's very like, violent language the way we discuss it but actually it's not as easy as simple as a goodies versus baddies thing in the nhs but why are we talking about it like that mm-hmm. so you know i think by create by minimalizing things to the point they're a violent pantomime you're actually making you you, prov- you provide a space for people to actually discussion have a discussion about all of the, the muddy stuff in between and i think mm-hmm. that's a good thing so mm-hmm. that's really interesting um so one of the things um, that struck, strikes me about all of your work and, and your writing as well, and, and also just something that interests both me and Claire in general about wrestling, is the role of comedy. Um, and I wondered, um, mm-hmm. yeah. I wondered if you could just talk about um, why you think um, comedy is such a kind of potent force um, and how you kind of incorporate comedy in your work and things like that. I have found, I don't... I can't make work that isn't funny. I've still not found a way that may, that comes across like a complete try. Oh, I'm just so funny. No, <laughs> no I, I, that is, it's my comfort space. It's not necessarily, I, unfortunately, I think it has come from many years of self-deprecation and I'm putting mm. myself down in order to be more accepted by other people instead of making them feel uncomfortable about things I don't like about myself. But also, I just think that, that being able to laugh is such an important thing to be able to get through most shit things in your life to have a sense of humor about it. Even if it's not going to necessarily make it better, it makes the whole experience more enjoyable. It's like camping. Camping is horrible if it goes wrong, unless you find it funny, you know, or birth or any of these things. If you find it funny, you know, even if you're incredibly uncomfortable, at least you're sort of, there's the some element of enjoyment to it mm-hmm. so that's kind of where I am with rest you know where I am with all performance I think that when you mix I think people get um confused that you can't mix, mix like you know very deeply moving things very hard things with humor but I think you absolutely can and in fact mm-hmm. I think that if you can get people to feel the highs of of 
laughter and enjoying something and finding funny that they're going to be much more receptive to the, mm. the horrible stuff as well um but also it comes from just I can't you know it's also very much that I'm just not classically trained and I have no training that would require me to be anything except absolutely ridiculous in front of people <laughs> like the idea of doing a monologue about yeah again uh, I talk about quite hard things like being trapped alone in the house with a baby and going completely insane in my show the only way I can talk about it in a way that makes me human is by trying to make it funny and in that way it kind of makes it more tragic so mm -hmm. I find wrestling when it takes itself too seriously I, I can't engage with it in the same way because I just think life isn't always serious like mm -hmm. if it is mm -hmm. I feel sorry for you you know it just if you're charging someone money you should try and make them laugh a little bit just a little bit um even at radiohead concerts people laugh you know it's, it's one of those things <laughs> so. yeah i think that's i what sorry sal i'm jumping in but okay no, i think that um that it's so interesting because it for me it kind of ties your work up with all those folks across theatre history who've thought about the intersection of comedy and politics. Um, yeah. like, and I mean like small p politics, not necessarily like, you know, uh, like, um, uh, you know, I'm thinking, I'm, I mean, I've just because I've got like Bertolt Brecht on the brain, but like, you know, his no whole notion was that you can't make, don't, don't just make political theatre, make entertaining political theatre. Like, why are you bothering? Just stand up and tell me some stuff. Like, it's boring. Stop it. Like, actually, the way that you're going to engage people in what you're doing and make a, make a much stronger a more powerful statement is by making something that actually engages with people. And it seems to me that a lot, like, as you approach your work, that's something that you... I'm putting words in your mouth here, Heather, forgive me, but there seems to be something that's important in your work that you're actually creating work that people are going to enjoy and 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 connect with and find funny and come out and think I had a really good night, not just, or not only and perhaps, um, that they've kind of got a, got a deeper insight into a particular political, feminist, gender-based situation, yeah. Yeah, because I don't, I think that there's a danger if you make things too serious that you do alienate people. Yeah. Agreed. And also, as I've got later into my life, you know, I quite, there's a lot of things I just don't watch anymore because, like, watch or engage with because I'm like, it's just going to make me feel miserable. And the world's mm. quite hard anyway, you know. Um, like, like Leonard Cohen. I really like Leonard Cohen, <laughs> but I used to be able to listen to him all the time, thought he was the best thing in the world. Now I'm just like, well, if I listen to Leonard Cohen, I'm probably going to feel a bit sadder. So why don't I listen to Dexy's Midnight Runners instead? Because I get just as much enjoyment and musically just as good, in my opinion, mm -hmm. as Lenny Cohen. But I mean, I, that's that. Okay, I'm not. That is not. Don't put that in. I don't want to start that Jesus Christ! But this is it. It's like it's not about maturing. It's just kind of knowing what you actually yeah. want to engage with and the stuff that all of my favorite films, all of the things that I enjoy a lot, like they can you know, they're, they, they're a package, you know, mm. that I always used to sell wrestling to people when I, I wrestled with Lucha Britannia, is that it wasn't enough for me to be like, come and see wrestling, because people like, okay, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, I like The Rock, no, come <laughs> see wrestling with, you know, a woman with flaming tits, and then a drag queen, and then a club night, would you like that? Yes, why would you, if you don't like that, there's something wrong with you, that's how I think you should sell art, mm. is that, it's expensive and it's hard to engage the audience in if they feel like they're not going to enjoy it or understand it 
on some level mm. and I don't want to exclude people from anything mm. I make I want them to be like come inside there's something for everyone here you might not enjoy the bits where I talk about my vagina ripping open during birth, but you will definitely enjoy cheering the pelvic floor as a wrestling character, you know, like. So, oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that, like my collaborators, um, my main collaborator, Rebecca Biscuit, I mentioned earlier, um, she's worth looking up. She's part of a group mm-hmm. called Shit Theatre, but their work is very much political with a small P and they make work, I think, their last show was called Drink Run with Expats, which is basically them. They went to Malta thinking they were just going to make get those expats drunk and make jokes about Brexit. It was just going to be like easy peasy silly show about Brexit. But what they actually found was they ended up discovering like the really horrific underside of the migrant crisis and like the silencing of like Maltese um journalists in terms of like you know highlighting like the human cost of the migrant crisis and that kind of thing and the whole show is fucking it's so funny but it has so many bits in it that make you literally like feel Mm. I can't really explain it but yeah and I think that because that they they open themselves to you in a way that they're like they're funny and they're making tits of themselves in some ways it means that you can engage with the political aspects of it more because it's more relatable mm-hmm. yeah. so that's how I feel yeah. anyway and I take my husband and he he's only ever really seen wrestling and he like ch- thinks you cheer and boo everything <laughs> and he has a great time so anywhere I can take him yeah you know that's the kind of accessible art we should be we should be making in, this mm-hmm. country, in my opinion do you, do you think um do you think some of that comes from do you think that is the wrestling influence on your on your kind of theatre making because like one of the things that definitely struck me going into going into the show, I wasn't like I didn't really know what to expect because I've seen a lot of <laughs> I've yeah, seen no, a lot of re- my work. Yeah, <laughs> like I've seen a lot of wrestling and I've seen a lot of small scale theater and and John, who's a, the kind of co-founder of Resurgence, who who I know you know at Attenborough, yeah. he programmed the small scale theater and would make well not make me but I would always go out of support for him to go and see the small scale theater shows that he booked. And I kind of, I, I worried that that was kind of be, going to be what I was going to be in for. And there's a sort of prevalence in a lot of theatre. This is get, this, this, this will get to a compliment, I assure no, you. Oh, will it? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is like talking to my parents about my work. But that is a compliment. Come on, guys. There's a compliment. There's one in there. Come on, guys. You can do it. Just get one out. Oh, it's a very time-consuming. Thanks, Dad. Sorry, Sam. Go on. So, yeah, there's, there's a kind of prevalence I think in in, in some theatre to, to sort of force a point to try and be funny and then bring and then bring a political point with that and I was and, and what your show did did actually was um it felt just natural like the humor and the, and the and the kind of underlying meaning just felt kind of off the cuff or it, it had that sort of little bit of um improvisation of kind of um of looseness that that wrestling has and that wrestling comedy has so I wondered, yeah, like to what extent you think that that your wrestling background and training has influenced your kind of theatre making? I think the two things I can say. The one thing is that I realised about wrestling is that if you're not, and we talked about this earlier, if you're not enjoying it, why are you doing it? Mm. And that's how I feel about making art, is that this isn't, you know, this isn't like I've, you know, I'm a, I've spent 
so many years treading the boards of Broadway and this is you know me at the old Vic and I no it's not is it let's be be real come on this is a, a ridiculous show about your life where you have the song Come On Eileen featured 10 times you know you've got to enjoy the work you make and I think that if you start enjoying yourself on stage people enjoy it as well mm. and I think that that's how I feel like again then we talk about music if you're watching a band perform and they're enjoying playing mm. together and they're enjoying being live and they're enjoying like the show is going to be so much better for it than if you're seeing someone going through the motions Mm. And I think that with wrestling, there is that looseness. It's like when you're up there in the ring, you have to love what you're doing. And the second thing about coming from wrestling, I suppose, is that we're always taught that even though you you can obviously train to a certain extent and you can plan some things to a certain extent, wrestling is a lot of improvisation. And also mm. things go wrong. Sometimes, you know, you'll just like fuck a move up, but other times, you know, someone could get seriously hurt or, you know, and you have to be prepared to cover that because the audience don't know that that's happened. And if you stop and you're suddenly like, I am a, I am a wrestler in a wrestling show and I've forgotten my lines, you're going to freeze and break the whole illusion. So if you stop trying to make things so rigid, there's more space for you to improvise and a looseness as you say mm. that I think wrestling has because you don't want it to look too forced because it mm. isn't and mm. I, I but I learned that the hard way I just want to say I think I'm a pretty terrible wrestler unless I'm doing comedy wrestling I find it really <laughs> difficult because I panic if I forget if I feel like I've not done something very well rather than just carrying on and, and improving I'll start freaking out about it mm. and um and I think that I learned that the late, the less you do that, the more enjoyable a performance is. Mm. So, and I think that I was also very lucky because I had a really great team with me working on the wrestling, on Mummy Versus. Like all of the wrestlers are great. They're all lovely. They're all very funny. They all found the concept that they were doing the show is bloody ridiculous. Um, they all hate the song Common Eileen just as much as <laughs> now. And... To actually have that camaraderie is also something I don't think that you can get in like a traditional theatre production. Mm. You know, there's a lot of camaraderie backstage at wrestling shows. And that's one mm. of the things I love most about it. It's, it's a small community and no one, to, if you, if you all are having a good time, then you're basically just there for fun. You're not there to mm. work. So mm. I think we need more of that kind of stuff in the arts. I think that, mm we're in danger of losing the art full stop because I think people think that you have to do it in order to make money and not to enjoy an experiment and just hang out with your friends and then you know maybe make 50 quid not saying that that's what we should do we should you know put more money into it and stuff like that but I think if you have that you know that kind of mentality about it rather than mm. I'm failing at this thing mm. it starts becoming like an a-level drama exam and uh, actually becomes like a thing you want to be doing as a grown-up person so mm. that's how I go into it anyway mm. I'm I'm very aware that the football started <laughs> oh, I'm I'm planning on watching it slightly behind because my mate was uh due to finish work at five so it's we've I've got a plan <laughs> <laughs> basically that's all. Yeah, but, um, but yeah Claire have you got anything else that you want to you want to add 
or ask to ask Heather? Yeah, I think so. I, I just had one final question. I feel like we could just talk all day, football, no football, Heather, but I feel yeah, like... I agree. Uh, I yeah, agree. this has been so just great. Kick, but... kick me off the call and then <laughs> yeah, you can we just will. Carry... We'll carry on. Um, no, I think my, my only final thing is that I was just really interested in, um, in, in anger and we've kind of mm. touched on it, but we've not like, we've not kind of really fleshed out. And I think it'd just be really helpful to hear from you about this because like, there's um like anger is everywhere at the moment, all over everywhere, all the time, people getting angry about all sorts of things and throwing out words, things like that. But that doesn't seem to be the sort of anger that you're advocating for. I, I think like there's an anger that is connected with the kind of resistance that you were talking about earlier. Um, and that actually that is part of sort of part of your project. And I'm kind of interested, maybe, maybe thinking about it with reference to the new NHS project, perhaps. I'm not sure if that's got that sense of like, you know, this is this is a this is a an act of resistance that is important. And there is something that I want to address here that is important. Um so is, is that kind of a, is it is anger the wrong word think, to use for that? Or I think right anger word, is or? the I think anger is the right word. Mm. I think maybe I used it for lack of a better word sometimes or it's a powerful word for me it comes down to that good old good old saying the personal is political yeah. like for, for, to come back to being a parent and making art about things that I'm told are boring when I talk about them like I have this really I got during lockdown I got really angry about being labeled as a parent because I would find myself wanting to talk about things that were very real in my life like breastfeeding or like the pressure to be an act a certain way and the pressure to make small talk with other parents even though you don't really want to and I had all of these these feelings and they were they were anger I was angry that just because I decided to have a child which last time I checked it's, it's okay to do that and you you obviously will change as a person but you shouldn't have to change everything about yourself but I found myself not talking to my friends about it because in my head, I had this voice telling me it's boring and it's not relevant, it's not important. Mm -hmm. And it was only when I kind of told one of my friends, like that's how I felt like I, and I felt quite alienated that I wasn't talking about these things that they were like, well, they are important. What's more important? Like, you know, me telling you about my work meeting and, you know, going for some drinks with the guys on Friday, or you like telling me about, you know, just like the everyday sexism that you experience, you know, mm. what's actually more important and more relatable and more interesting. And I'm like, well, okay. When you frame it like that, it's okay for me to be angry about this stuff. Mm. And during lockdown, I know you were talking about the NHS, but I think it's easier for me to talk about yeah, this of course. stuff with parenthood. There's been a lot more politicization of parenting, particularly motherhood, because mm. we've seen the motherhood penalty get ridiculous. Um, like women have been pushed back to the 70s during lockdown because when there was no childcare available, it, it was more likely women that had to stop working, go on furlough, mm. you know, do all of the childcare and also school their children and also do that. I don't necessarily feel to an extent that happened in my household because um, I'd made the decision that I couldn't afford to do my job in an office and make artwork and look after mm -hmm. my kids. But I was in that sense also forced out of the workplace. 
And I think for the first time, rather than going like, oh, this doesn't matter, it's just women's stuff, it happens behind closed doors, we don't need to talk about it. All these people who were like, actually, no, we do need to fucking talk about it. My life has been hell for a year. And it only took, you know, a pandemic for people to be stuck with their kids and they couldn't escape and then to realise that actually domestic labour is incredibly challenging and undervalued. And the government and the way that we actually treat childcare and the raising of children is incredibly sexist and incredibly backdated in this country and we need to change it. Mm. And that came from anger. Mm. All of these things, if you Google things like um, mother pucker and pregnant then screwed, it's anger that has fueled mm. these things. It's not helplessness. It's not, you know, oh God, look at this poor woman doing this awful thing. It's like, yeah, no, we, we know that. We know mm. that this is hard and it's difficult, but now we're just angry that this is still going on and no one's mm. listening. And I think that that's what it comes down to. The person is political. When I was, before I went to university, I was very much like the world is an awful place and I'm going to change all of it and I'm going to become a human rights lawyer and I'm going to, you know, give all my money to Oxfam and I'm going to do this and this and this and I'm going to make the world a better place until I realised there's absolutely no way that that's going to happen and I'm not, one person can't do all those things. It's better for you to change a very small corner of the world where you know you're going to impact some people's lives yeah and that's kind of what I guess I've been doing it's like it's okay to be you know I'm proud of the fact that like I'm a rape survivor I'm a cancer survivor I'm a awkward you know slightly overweight woman with mental health problems but I talk very openly about how the fact I'm also a wrestler and a parent and it's okay not to be a certain thing because I know that somewhere somewhere that might help someone feel better about themselves mm. and then they might do something much more impressive than mm. you know me making my stupid performance art and I think that's what I mean by we should be using anger mm. and I think yeah. that seeing women do things like wrestling unladylike things aggressive violent silly things it's an inspira- it's an inspiration and you don't know who you inspire when you do those kind of things and that in itself mm. is I guess it's why you, why we make anything, right? You know. Yeah, yeah. What a what an awesome end point. <laughs> yeah, that's a yeah. Why why we make why we make art, right? We make that's the reason why we make art. Yeah, you do it to make someone do something else, right? But yeah, it's just right. Mm. That's just it. passive aggressiveness. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's in, that's really incredible. That's, that's, um, yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, just really good. So um, if you could just tell us um, to conclude, like where people can find you, what kind of projects you've got go- coming up. Um, we know we've got the live stream of Mummy Versus coming up. So yeah, just plug away, basically. Plug, plug, plug. Um, so the best thing to do is if you want to watch, um, if you want to watch a wrestling show about the pandemic that features the song Common Eileen 10 times, but actually on a screen version zero times because of a copyright dispute. Um <laughs> <laughs> if you google disrupt mummy versus and there's a fe- online festival called disrupt next week um please and um basically it's a pay what you can stream on the 8th of july you buy your ticket and then you can watch it whenever you like um you can follow my exploits on twitter at rana bites back and um i also have a website which is heatherbanderberg.co.uk which has got all of my links to my past work and my books and my writing and all of that kind of jazz. Um, 
but mainly yeah if you just give me a follow on social media who knows what could happen that's where Mick Foley found me so you know <laughs> who else <laughs> Mick Foley actually told me that he his book he thought my book was one of the best books he'd ever written but it could never be a film imagine being told that by Mick Foley <laughs> Because he was like, there's no, no real end there, is there? I was like, no. <laughs> Sorry, Mick. Despite that, that is still the coolest. <laughs> As a massive Mick Foley fan, we've talked about Mick Foley so much on this podcast over the past few weeks. Um, just because he keeps coming up in conversation and as emblematic of so many things we talk about. Um, I was like, yes, that is extremely cool. So, um, I, yeah. I, I, it was the book. It, it was one of the best days of my life. And the last few of them. Yeah, and I had mastitis as well. I had tip flu, and then Mick Foley tweeted me, and I didn't notice that I had tip flu. Now imagine that. Imagine that being <laughs> your morning. You've woken up, your tits hurt, and someone's texting you, like, you know, Mick Foley's talking to you on Twitter, and it was like, oh, I, <laughs> I just can't. <laughs> I can't. Um, and then, I, and then oh. I texted him saying, sorry, I've got mastitis. It's like, that's not a direct message you sent to Mick Foley, but he was like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> oh that's that adds an amazing coda to that story so yeah thank you Michelle. I didn't know all that but that's awesome <laughs> uh, yeah this is yeah great yeah yeah, we've, yeah. We've, yeah thanks for thanks for joining us and um and chatting no, about all of these great lovely. things no it's no problem I, it's been lovely and um I'm sure I will talk to you extensively in the future about yeah I hope so it's been yeah, it's been so great to actually kind of sit down and have a proper conversation about everything. I've really enjoyed mm. it. It's been awesome. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> All right. Well, enjoy your consecutive evenings. Um, I, yeah. I'm i going to go uh, find my child. I don't know where he's gone. In my very small flat, that's worrying. So. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you go do right. that. Sam can go watch football. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, folks.